Welcome to another edition of the Tom Green Podcast. I'd first like to start out that this is actually my first podcast since the end of the semester at SVSU, and I'm glad to say to you guys that I've made it. I've graduated. I've yet to get my bachelor's degree, but I will be getting that soon. And I'd like to thank the RPW wing and the communications wing, Dr. Amy Pierce, Dr. Jennifer McCullough, Dr. Dave Schneider, Dr. Brittany Collins, Dr. Bill Williamson, Dr. Scott Kowalewski, Dr. Fenobia Dallas, Dr. Brad Herzog, Dr. Beth Jorgensen, and if I missed any, I didn't mean to. Thank you all for giving me a great education, for guiding me to this point where I am right now, uh, walking and with a degree in my hands shortly. So, great accomplishment for yours truly. For this episode, we're going to talk some New Year's Six, and I brought in a student, a student that's met some people that I have, and I'm going to introduce him this way. That's right, Los Bravos said it right. It's gray, it's gray. Gray Robertson. Welcome to the show, Gray. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me on over this holiday season. Of course, over this bowl season, you mean. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but this yes. time of the year. Three Point States Magazine, our buddies Jeff Lyons, Brandon Rush call it Football Festivus. So however <laughs> you call it, it's a great time of year. So, with that being said, I'd, well, I'd first said um, at the show that he's a couple people that I have, and I'll, I'll tell them. Tim Brando, Laura Rutledge, great people. In fact, I try to get them on the show, but they'll be impressed that I can always pull a plan B. Tell us a little bit about your experiences there with uh, Tim and Laura. Well, uh, Laura I've only run into once. Um, she is usually, uh, she's, she's everywhere. Um, oh, yes. Usually the hardest working uh, ladies in college football media, and she's fantastic at her job. Yes. Uh, Tim B's been a great friend for years. Um, I met him. He's good friends with my dad. We met years ago uh, when he knew I was interested in this field. He became a mentor of sorts. He's come on my show probably, oh gosh, at an exorbitant amount of times. He's been excellent over the years, and he's such a great interview and so um, honest about whatever he's yes. talking about, whether it be sports related or uh, advice related, and uh, he's great. And um, there, there are two that I've run into, and I, I've had many other people that have helped me along the way. But certainly, Timmy D has been a big part of uh, me getting some of the success that I've had already so far in my life. Yes, definitely. And uh, about Laura and Tim, there, uh, Laura's mentor was Dick Enberg, and. Funny coincidence, I never actually met Enberg, but I'm actually from Dick, I'm actually live in Dick Enberg territory, if you want to call it that. He went to CMU, Central Michigan. He he wasn't into sports like we are, and he started as a janitor, believe it or not, inside the radio business, Shepherd Public Radio, CMU Public Radio, and he worked up like that. Yeah, I was, I was a big fan of Enberg, and when he passed away, um, it was a real punch to the gut because I hated yes. that I had a chance to meet him. And actually, I was uh, 
our family spring cleaning here, which we always do mm-hmm. in the uh, winter time for whatever reason, because it's the only time we're all at home <laughs> early this part before Christmas. And I found this story that I wrote back in seventh grade, uh, and I featured Dick Enberg as a character, and that was kind of, um, it, it again brought up some of the nostalgia that I've had of some of his great calls, and again the desire that. I wish I'd had a chance to meet him, but uh, he was such a legend, and um, we definitely miss him in the sports media world. And, I, and one of the stories I've heard was um, Bader's, they met Dick Enberg, and he said, Hi, it's good to meet you, Mr. Enberg. His first three words, call me Dick. <laughs> very down to earth. Very down to earth. And as far as Laura, like I had said it before on this show many times, she's everywhere. I'm sure you've seen uh, he's bottom ten. Yes. One of them, and I laughed out, died laughing out loud, Laura Rutledge's clones. Are we sure that's the actual Laura Rutledge, or is that her clone? Well, we uh, we had Lauren Sisler from uh, SEC Nation on our show a couple weeks ago, and I asked her, because uh, it was right at the end of the year, and I asked her, Lauren, what is the uh, what is the moment of the year for you on the show? What was the moment that made her, you know, something that you'll always remember? And she said... Laura Rutledge being the MVP of the show, and she highlighted, of course, um, her getting run over on the Georgia slide, her getting dragged by Ugga, uh, an intro they did where Laura came in being a horse and then had mm-hmm. to get off the horse and get to the stage in about 10 seconds, and uh, she was uh, she was raving about all the also now, I mean, she is uh, she's everywhere, and she does such a great job with all of the sports that she covers. Because mm-hmm. not just football, she does softball, she does a little bit of everything for ESPN. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And my, in fact, my opinion is, Laura saved Get Up. Honestly, that show was was ratings, and I and yes, I'm a Clay Travis follower, and I and yes, politically, I'm a little right slanted, and I'm not going to get go that far in terms of that, but. So ratings-wise, was going down the drain, and when Laura when Laura was hired onto that show regularly. <laughs> well, I think Laura is so successful, and she's just so likable, and she's so yes. nice, yes. and she seems like somebody you would be friends with. And I mean, to me, the at least the media folks that I've encountered and worked with and interviewed, and uh, the ones that are my favorites are the ones that you can you know be with at the game. And then afterwards, uh, have a drink with at the bar. And I've never done that with Laura, um, but there are many others where, you know, if you're like that and you're not, you don't have a big head, then, you know, people are going to like you. And the ratings usually reflect that. The number of uh, fans that you have and the amount of social media that you generate usually reflects that as well. Yes, definitely. And I, and you had a little testimony I put there before I went to Michigan, Indiana. Working with students speaks a lot. I mean, working with people like speaks a lot of character. One, the students, and two, her, and she does that. The same with Brando. I'll switch gears over here to Brando a bit. I met him at Michigan, Minnesota. Didn't get a shut of to add to that networking thread, but he retweeted it so people saw it. Um, he's real down to earth. I was very close to getting him, but of course, just like the rest of them, schedules happen, busy things happen. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, Brando, like I said, has been a friend for years, and he's such a great guy. Um, he's never, he never says no to asking about advice. Um, he never flat out says no to come to the show. Like you said, it's usually just scheduling things. Um, we had him on a couple times earlier this year, and he was, he, uh, <laughs> he will talk more than anyone um, else that we will show, but everything he says is, gen- 
and uh, it's what he honestly believes, and it's very opinionated, and he stands by it, and that's what makes him so interesting in sports because, you know, uh, there aren't a lot of guys that are just going to stay away, and uh, Brando does with you know, before anyone else says. Yeah, and I think part of it is, and I say it on here, but I will, his age. He's very experienced, and um, I think that that he has, and his age too, he, he thinks, you know what? If I get fired, so what? I've lived a great <laughs> life. I've had a great time in sports. So what? Well, he's been around the block. I'm going to borrow a phrase that he said uh, when he was here a couple years ago in Birmingham for a function, and he was uh, over here, and we were talking to him for a little bit. And uh, he works in the toy department of life, which is sports media. And I, I think that there's nothing more true than that statement. It's in my opinion that is more fun to cover it's more fun to go to work when you're working in sports and uh and i think he hits a nail on the head with that phrase it really is something special to work in a field that's so fun yes definitely and in fact i've joked that i called him i call him my <laughs> and in fact i've all wore my work sister the same with jenny taft i'll call them my work sisters <laughs> So, and in fact, I'd even tweeted Laura last like the alternative that I got for this for this show, which was you. So I think they'll both really like that snippet that we got there, longer than I thought. So to get this uh, playoff preview, New Year's Six, I know you had tweeted about this a couple nights ago, and I know the narrative is getting overplayed, but I got to ask it anyway. 18 playoff, your thoughts. Uh, I think it needs, I think everything needs to calm down. Okay. Um, and, and I, look, I get it. I get it in today's society. Everybody wants everybody to have a fair shot, yada, yada, yada. But I, I'm so against rushing to move things when we don't have to. I, okay. first off, I never thought, I get why we VCS to a playoff. I never thought the best up. I never thought that there was a year where they did not have the best team winning the national championship or the two best teams competing. The only year maybe that you could argue with was 2004 with USC, Oklahoma, and Auburn would have had a chance, but I see why Oklahoma got in there. Um, I never thought they messed it up, but I also saw the merit to moving to four, so I was okay with that. I don't think the committee has made any mistakes with the four teams that they've put in. Um, the two quote-unquote gambles have paid off with national championships. Ohio State near Alabama last year is the two teams that kind of slid in. So I don't know why we're trying to rush to this. We had nearly 20 years of the BCS, uh, and then we decided to switch. So why, why is everyone wanting to move from what we have now after just five and potentially six years? I don't understand the rush. I don't know why we want to open it to more teams who didn't earn it. Um, I'm a very staunch, staunch advocate for don't lose twice. And, and if you do, if you lose twice, you don't deserve to be in for the playoff. I think Georgia this year is one of the four best teams in the country. Lost twice, they don't belong in the playoff. We can't ignore the LA that happened in October. So I, I just don't understand. Uh, I don't think that the token as people think it is. And um, I have I have issues with rewarding teams for I don't want to say mediocrity, but for not doing what the teams ahead of them did to get into the playoffs. If that's it, okay. one loss teams they deserve to be in the conversation. Anybody beyond that, I have a problem with that because that to me cancels out certain parts of the regular. Boy, I sure wish you weren't in. Uh, or I sure hope you're not in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, back in two thousand seven. 
<laughs> because that was the last time a two-loss team won a national title. So, well, my, but that was yeah. that was an uh, that was an unusual year. I mean, there were uh, there were more two-loss teams than ever before and ever again. And again, we have to remember with CF, which we'll talk about later. Yes, certain things are not the norm; they're the exception. So, well, like the Chris Farley, I'm not the norm. So what? I said. I wouldn't, like Chris Farley, it's not the norm. I have to remember that when a UCF team wins 25 games in a row here, so we don't have to change the system to to accommodate that and then never have that happen again because there's a chance it might not. LSU being a two-loss champion uh, out of the SEC, I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again with the SEC recruiting the way it is going forward. So... It's important to remember that we don't have to change systems to accommodate the extreme circumstances. They're not the norm, and uh, and it's important that we keep that in perspective. Definitely. Now, my thing is I would like to see it expand, but uh, adding to your argument there, look at basketball. 58 teams. What do teams 69 <laughs> and 70 say? And yes, the, uh, the, yes, that how it was meant to be there. I'm sure you know about that. But besides the point, 69 and 70, what are they thinking? Oh, my God, we should have been in it. Look at football. Teams 5 and 6. Oh, my God, we should have been in it. The argument doesn't end. Well, if we're trying to make teams happy, good luck. That'll never right. happen. I mean, right. it's impossible to make everybody happy. And you're right. I mean... You know, five and six have an argument this year. We expand to six. Well, what about six and seven? Um, you know, take this year. We expand to six. Well, so UCF's still out. I mean, what do we do about that? You know, expand to eight. Well, what about nine and ten? No, they've done something. Uh, I mean, it, it's all, it's, you, you can't please everybody. So I say, why reward more teams that didn't as the team boarding now? Um, I, I, I just don't know why we're trying to rush to that. I think if we want to expand things, let the 12 track run out. Let all sample size that the CFP and Bill Hancock um, and the rest of that committee uh, of presidents and athletic directors and commissioners um, that they set out to talk about it. We don't need to rush. I, I don't understand why people are so antsy about it. Okay. Yeah, and if I wanted to see an expansion, I'd want to see it just to eight, and it would be group of the power Group of five champion and two at larges, which would be what everybody's talking about the the champions plus UCF, Notre Dame, and Georgia would be for this See, year. I, with that scenario, I, I, again, um, I don't. I, I think that you could make a spot for the Power Five champions, but I'm not sure the Group of Five champion would, in my mind, deserve an automatic bid. And, and okay. I say that again. Because of my comments about Ohio, or Ohio State, excuse me, UCF not being the norm, and undefeated teams come through, and and if they're as good as they appear with that undefeated record, they would get an at-large bid. UCF this year would get an at-large bid as the eighth team in the country, I believe. And uh, but then again, if there's an eleven and one team, or maybe a ten and two, eleven and two champion out of the AAC, whose losses are to SMU at home, and you know at Memphis, why are we rewarding them with an automatic pick to the playoff when maybe there's an 11-1 SEC team or an 11-1 Big Ten team more deserving? So I'm not necessarily 
in on the group of five automatic bid, but I could see the merit with doing um, power five automatic bids. Although, again, you would have to figure out a way to get the most deserving teams in there and maybe figure out, maybe rework divisions. I don't know, but figure out a way to where a, an eight and five ACC champion Pittsburgh, like what could have happened this year, um, small chance, but it could have happened where they don't have a chance to play for a national championship because I don't think a team that goes eight and five deserves to have a chance to call themselves the best team in college football that year. Yeah, you can. You'd see the. You see these. I, I guess we'll call them random division winners. Quite set up against teams that we know that are going to win, like a Clemson or an Ohio State, even. And yeah, that that's very very good point. So. With that being said, let's let's go to the New Year's Six preview, shall we? We're just yeah. we're gonna start New Year's Day and and move towards the actual games. We'll start with the Fiesta Bowl, UCF and LSU. And of course, first talking point expanding on the um, the 18 playoff, UCF 25 game win streak. Do they deserve a chance? Um, no, I don't think so, and uh, and I didn't think so. I think maybe they should have been ranked ahead of Michigan, but um, I don't know. I, I couldn't rationalize that with the injury to McKenzie Milton, and I know that you quote-unquote can't punish teams for stuff that happens, but when the committee sits down and looks at these teams, they have to take into account where they are at that moment. And UCF, even though they won the American uh, with Mac at quarterback, they're not as good a team without Mackenzie Milton. They're just not. I can't figure out how they would be um, without the guy who led them to 23 of those 25 wins and started in the 24th. I can't, I just don't see that happening. And I think we'll see that against LSU, um, that Mac is a cry from uh, what Mackenzie Milton is because Memphis's defense, I've been studying for the Birmingham Bowl on Saturday, and Memphis's defense is nowhere near what LSU is, obviously. Um, so, no, I, I don't think that – I think maybe if Milton had stayed healthy, maybe they would have had a chance to be in the conversation. They're obviously a very good team, but I can't I, I can't put them ahead of teams when their best players hurt. And uh, maybe that's not fair. I don't really care. Life isn't fair. College football <laughs> certainly isn't fair because some things happen that are bad breaks for some teams, and that's just how life works. But, no, I don't think UCF belonged in the playoffs. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen them get a chance because 25 straight is remarkable. Name, name another team in the FBS that's done it. You can't. But, but of course, losing your best player, yeah, they might, they might not, they might not be the same team that was with Mac instead of Milton. Do they? I guess do they ride out the momentum they have? Um, LSU. Now, I did, I did put on the talking point. Are they motivated? And I say that because. Here they are, three losses coming off of a sudden overtime game against Texas A&M that ended in the wee hours of the morning. Maybe they're still playing now. I could still hear LSU's band in my head from watching the end of that game. But what is the motivation here for MSU? Or LSU, I'm sorry, LSU. Well, first off, there's no way in heck Ed Orgeron is not getting his players fired up. No way. There, there is not a competitive or, I guess, non-competitive bone in Ed Orgeron's body. He's going to get them fired up. Second off, if you're LSU, um, I think that the UCF, I guess I'll call it a phenomenon, whatever, um, I, would, I would say circus, 
um, if I had to put a word to it. But the UCF circus, they hear it too. They hear the fake national championship claims, and they see the banners. And LSU is carrying the torch for the SEC, which I think has been really the main target of all of these comments. UCF beat Auburn. UCF claimed a national championship when Alabama won it. So LSU is carrying the banner for the conference, and I think that'll be a motivating factor as well. Devin White playing is important. That'll help that defense. That'll keep them tuned in. And I think, again, um, finally, going back to the A&M game, you know, LSU feels like they were cheated out of that game. There were some calls. Uh, I've read what Steve Shaw, the SEC director officiating, said in regards. He said the only call that was questionable was the pass interference and in, I think, the seventh overtime. I don't know. They all went together. Right. Um, but I-, I think that they feel – like, they don't want the season to end that way. A lot of their fans are angry about that game. Uh, the defense is certainly probably very angry that they gave up as many points as they did. And uh, and I would just be very surprised if LSU came out flat in this game. The only thing, maybe, is if they walk in with an attitude like Auburn probably had last year, thinking that they can walk in and roll over UCF, because that's not the case. Like I said earlier, UCF is a good football team. They're going to put up points, but they're not as big or as physical as LSU. LSU's got to come in fired up, ready to play, respecting the opponent, but also knowing that if they just execute, they're going to win this game. Yeah, and losing Milton was huge. In fact, the knee knee injury, I I felt like I was watching the episode of, well, dare I say, watching the episode of Family Guy when when Peter and Quagmire and uh, Cleveland were playing jackass when Pete, when Peter's spine goes all the way up. I'm sure you can see that. I had that same reaction looking at Milton's leg. Oh! And <laughs> with LSU, I like like you had said, they're 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 mad. They're uh, and anger provokes motivation. And of course, Eddie Orgeron, being the guy that he is, you could tell by my Eddie Orgeron impersonation that. He, he's going to get those guys fired up. Hold that tiger. Go Tigers. <laughs> and I think you're enunciating a bit too much with your impersonation. I can tell what you're saying a bit a bit too much. <laughs> I try. We, we, need, we need some captions for some of the things that he says. As much as I love Coach O, it's almost like watching an episode of Honey Boo Boo where they have the closed captioning pop up. And, uh, and, you know, it's just who he is, and it's why we love him. He's so great, but it, it, he's an excellent motivator. His players won't know what the heck he's talking about, but they'll get fired up because that's just who he is. And boy, has Joe Burrow helped that team this year. I mean, going going into the season, it, the, things looked doubtful for LSU. Oh, they got this tra- they got they got a transfer. Let's see what happens against Miami. Boom, they... they they beat Miami good, and here they are, at least in the SEC conversation, as they should be. Well, the thing about Joe Burrow is he's not great, he's not a game changer, but he's not gonna—he's not gonna mess things up. He's going to do well enough. His best game of the year was against Georgia, uh, and he played really well. But I mean, look at the passing yards—you know, two thousand five hundred. Okay, that's average. Twelve touchdowns. Okay, that's average. Four picks. That's the number you center in on. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't put your team in precarious situations. He's not going to win you the game, which will be a problem for LSU if UCF puts up a lot of points. 
uh, in in the Fiesta Bowl, but he's not going to lose it for you either, and that's a valuable asset to have as a quarterback. Right. LSU's offense reminds me a lot of um, like Bears offenses of the 80s. A lot of run, run oriented. Not a lot of quarter play necessary. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're perfectly happy giving it to Nick Prosett 15 times and the rest of the stable of running backs a couple more times and seeing where that gets them. They're not going to put the game in Joe Burrow's hands unless it gets dicey. And we'll see how it goes. He played really well against Auburn. I was at that game and. Um, the only time all year where I thought, huh, this guy could be a game changer. Um, he's not that guy, but he can be if they need him to be. I'm just worried that if, if they call upon him, I can't guarantee that he would step up, if that makes sense. There are quarterbacks that I know would step up. Tua, Kyler, I think Jake Fromm is in that conversation. Joe Burrow is not that guy, and I don't know for sure that he would he would be able to bring LSU back if UCF got off to a good start. Right, Jake from State From, you mean? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what are you wearing, Jake from State From? Uh, khakis. <laughs> so, with that being said, how do we think this Fiesta Bowl will go? I said LSU 31-23. Um, I think it'll be an even game early, but I think, again, like I said, they just execute, they're going to win. They're more physical, they're faster. Uh, and, and they're just a better football team overall from a talent standpoint. UCF is going to have to scheme the heck out of this if they want to win. They're going to have to come up with some razzle-dazzle. Uh, Max going to have to play superb. He's not going to be able to make any mistakes uh, in this game. And I think that all, all of those things happening for UCF is unlikely, in my opinion. So I've got LSU by eight. And I think it'll be really entertaining, though. Maybe one of the closer New Year's Six games uh, that we'll see. Yeah, go, going into the show, I was thinking to myself, UCF is just hot. I, I, I don't, I kind of don't see how they lose this. But with no Milton, this is well, this is quarterback's second championship, Max second champion or second bowl game, and the the nerves have got to be high. And LSU, they're they're going in, having bowl experience. Of course, I, I'm not saying UCF doesn't. I'm saying. LSU has had the experience of being in the big stage before, and I I could see LSU winning this one as well. Um, Milton being the factor, uh, if you give the ball to Nick Brosette, things things will be fine as long as UCF's defense doesn't stop him. Give me UC or LSU um, thirty four, UCF twenty. UCF being exposed to a to a good defense, and things will happen LSU's way. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's the other thing. UCF hasn't seen a defense like LSU. They haven't seen a linebacker like Devin White, and I would be really shocked if they uh, if they win this game. I think it'll be a tight game, but it'll be one of those games where you know it'll be fourteen six LSU second quarter. And it'll be a close score, but it will be blatantly obvious that LSU is in control of the game. Score-wise, I think it'll be competitive. I'm just not sure UCF has an actual chance to win this game, to be quite honest. And like we said, no Milton. Most likely a problem. Uh, Moving on to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. We got Ohio State and Washington. Now, of course, Ohio State, we don't have to go too far about that because... 
they beat the brakes off my Michigan men, which, of course, saddened me for a while. But <laughs> Urban Meyer is retiring, which honestly surprised me. I thought he would go one more year. But we have Urban Meyer's last game against Jake Browning's last game in Pasadena. Um, who's going to get the last laugh? We both think we're probably thinking the same thing, but go ahead and tell me. Who, who do you well, think is going to get the last off, laugh? first um, off, I, I don't see a scenario where Ohio State loses this game. And, uh, and I was not surprised that he retired, to be honest. I felt okay. like the writing was on the wall at the beginning of the year. Okay, uh, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it, it's just the vibe that you got. He looked tired from the beginning of the year. He looked... He looked like he was bothered with all the stuff that was happening, which was not a good look for him. And then you combine him announcing the uh, desist and him collapsing on the sidelines multiple times. So I wasn't surprised. I felt like uh, the audition of Ryan Day also made it. He would have made it easier for them to transition after this year since he coached this season. But again, it's Urban Meyer's last go-round, and it sounds like it will be his final game coaching in college football, barring something maybe medically the changes in the future. And I don't see a scenario where they lose this game, and it's it's because of Dwayne Haskins. I mean, the guy's insane. Uh, 4,500 passing yards, 47 touchdowns. Uh, actually, I called one of his games in high school, my high school up in Virginia, uh, traveled over to Bullis in Maryland. Uh, we won the game 66-65 in overtime, but Haskins was – the best player on the field and it wasn't close in that game 440 passing yards seven touchdowns through the air and a rushing touchdown so watching that game i knew and i think at the time he was committed to maryland i knew that he was going to be something special and um and and it's been obvious all year just how good he is and how good this offense is and they've got two great running backs and Jake Browning isn't as good as he was last year or two years ago. And I think Washington is just a bit outmatched here. As good a coach as Chris Peterson is, everything is going against him, and it's hard not to pick in support of the tidal wave going Ohio State's way. Yeah, I really think this is either going to be a close Washington win or Ohio State is going to knock the doors off of them. And we both think, yes, Ohio State is going to run away with this and run away convincingly. Uh, just for kicks, give me a score. I said 41-21, and um, and that's not that's not an indictment on Washington's defense. They're a very good defense. It's more, wow, this Ohio State offense is that good, and they're going to be that motivated. Uh, I, I just I just don't see a scenario where it's close, and I think and I don't see a scenario where Ohio State scores less than 35. So give me Ohio State by 20. Yeah, it seems like Washington is good, but when it comes to the big game scenario, and you've seen it as an SEC guy against Alabama, they they choke. Yeah, they uh, it's hard because these Pac-12 teams are not built the way that SEC teams, the way that Big Ten's teams are, uh, the way that even ADC teams are, even though they don't play many of those. They're not built that way, so when these Pac-12 teams meet these other Power 5 teams in bowl games, it rarely goes well, unless you're Kyle Whittingham in Utah and you're incapable of losing a bowl game. So, it's hard for Washington, in my mind, to match up with Ohio State, just like we've seen in the past against Alabama, against a a not-very-good Auburn team to begin the year as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Give me Ohio Ohio State. I'm going to say 45-17. Even even worse than what you've got. 
Uh, going to the Sugar Bowl, which will both be up until at least midnight central time, probably 1 a.m. because this game goes on forever. Sugar Bowl always does. Texas, Georgia. My talking boy here. Texas, are they really back? Um, it's a loaded question. Um, Not really. It's only four words. Back? Are they back in the Big 12 conversation <laughs> going forward? Yes. Are they back in the national championship conversation going forward? No, I don't think so. Um, not immediately, anyway. Although Sam Ellinger's been really good this year. Um, 38 total touchdowns, only the five picks. I mean, he's been efficient. Uh, he hasn't made a lot of mistakes. Their defense has been inconsistent, but marginally pretty good overall. Um, I, I just, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to say that they are back as a national title contender. I haven't. I think they were around the top ten in recruiting yesterday. I haven't checked the list today, um, but I would be. I would. I think it, it's going to take a couple of years. But this is the right path for Texas, right? I mean, they're they're on the correct trajectory to get back. And uh, you're not going to go from a nobody in the Big 12 to a national championship contender overnight. You have to first compete in your conference. And they did that this year. They made the title game, and I think next year they'll do a little bit better, uh, at least record-wise. So back in the title, national title conversation, no. Make that two years from now. But back in the Big 12, absolutely. And uh, we'll see We'll see next year how that plays out. But that's going to be a really interesting conference race. Definitely. I think what helps – what would help answer this question is this game right here because they've got the SEC runners-up who uh, who could have beaten Alabama twice and probably should have, and they've got they've got them. the The problem with Texas over the years since two thousand five, or really since two thousand nine, quarterback play. When they had consistent quarterback play with Vince Young, Colt McCoy, they were going to and winning national titles. Now with inconsistent play with the other handful of quarterbacks they've had to now Ellinger, Ellinger is now getting consistent. So now you can see them in the Big Ten or the Big Twelve title race. As for national, like I'd said, really depends on this game. Moving to Georgia, Georgia, oh they should have beaten Alabama and we all know it. Where's their mojo? <laughs> uh, they are. So again. Going back to what we talked about earlier, I think watching Georgia, I was uh, I was at five of their games in the regular season, and I was at the SEC championship. And watching them, it was clear. Now, I will say I was not at the LSU game. That was a game that I missed to stay in, in Tuscaloosa um, for something up there. But the games that I saw and watching the SEC championship, it was clear to me from a consistency standpoint, from a talent standpoint, they are one of the four best teams easily. And I think that they realize they let an opportunity slip away against Alabama with that inexplicable fake punt call, which, by the way, um, you said you're a Clay Travis fan. Clay Travis tweeted this out, and I think I thought about it uh, talking with my father uh, a few hours earlier. Wild that Justin Fields' final play at Georgia is that fake punt. Absolutely wild. Um, Yeah. But to me, they're one of the four best teams, and I think they recognize that. And I think they're going to be angry that they let an opportunity slip away, that they uh, that they weren't put in the playoff, even though I didn't think they should be. Um, they certainly had an argument. And um, I think that they're going to use uh, Swift and uh, Holyfield and all those backs, and, and uh, they're going to find a way to win this game. 
and they're going to be motivated. Uh, they're going to be angry. They're going to want to prove to the committee that they deserve to be in the playoffs. And I'll also add this. Um, sure. I've seen Jake Fromm a lot this year. I watched him in the SEC Championship against Auburn last year. Uh, Jake Fromm is easily, in my mind, the most underappreciated quarterback in the country. He can make certain throws that a lot of guys can't make. I, I've seen no quarterback that is better at the 10-yard out to the wide side of the field than Jake Fromm. He, he is the best quarterback at throwing that route, at throwing certain routes. He's consistent, and uh, and he he's a star, and he is why I think just bold prediction here. I think Georgia's going to win the national championship next year. Um, but he, he's a big reason why they were in a position to make the playoff this year and why I think they'll win pretty big in this Sugar Bowl. Yeah, and if and if Nada and Ridley return, that would really help from Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. But even then, I mean, the recruiting classes have been so good. They've got so many weapons. It's uh, I, I mean, it's hard not to look at Georgia and see what Peter Burns has said all year that this is the worst Georgia team we're going to see in the next five years. And this is not a bad Georgia team. Um, I mean, the future is certainly bright. And uh, this is another way to kind of end the year uh, trending up going into next season. Yeah, and and the thing was with that, I mean, when you have Holyfield, Evander Holyfield is his dad. Why, Why wasn't Evander on that field punching a guy, knocking a guy from Alabama out so they could get the first down on the fake punt? Well, I, I'm, I'm not an expert. That might have been a flag. <laughs> right. But, you right. know, it would have it would have uh, been certainly a uh, different conversation for Georgia than uh, what happened had he, with him not out there and then running the horrible fake punt that wasn't even close to getting yeah. the first down. Now the thing was, when I was watching that play, I'm like, "Fake it, please, fake it." I saw it and I went, "Yeah." Oh, that was the worst call imaginable on that. Oh. Well, here's the thing about it, and I said this to the folks around me because we were all sitting there and we all looked at each other like, what What in the world? Why? And um, the, you got to disguise it better. And yes. I get it. They said that they'd seen it in film, that there would have been an open receiver over the right, and Alabama covered it. Uh, at that point, you call timeout, Kirby. It's easy. It's coaching one-on-one. Yes. Um, but if you're going to run a fake punt, you got to disguise it better than having Justin Fields be the mid guy um, in front of the punter and behind the line. Because if you watch Georgia punting, every other guy, every other punt is a 350-pound lineman. So all of a sudden, you've got some skinny guy wearing number one back there the antenna's going to go up. You have to snap it quicker, or else it's going to be clued in pretty easily. And even if it, even if you snap it quickly, people are going to realize what's happening pretty fast. And uh, there was a lot wrong with it. You have to disguise it better if you want to run that play, in my opinion. Maybe have a receiver back there for the punt earlier to block. Something else to change up the tendency, because when you have that drastic a shift from what you do with with your punting game, it's pretty obvious that something squirrely is going on. Right, and just unfortunate for Georgia that now twice you had Alabama beat, and you blew it. Well, that's unfortunately life as a Georgia fan. (laughs) It's happened way too many times in their history. Definitely. So, how did score prediction, how does this Sugar Bowl go? I said Georgia 34-21 over Texas. Um, 
and I, I think uh, I don't think it'll be that close, at least on the field. I think Georgia, or Texas might get a late touchdown. I don't see how Georgia comes out unmotivated, and um, and I don't think Texas pound for pound can play with Georgia. Georgia's one of I would argue the third best team in the country behind Alabama and Clemson, at least talent wise, and at least based on what I've seen from all these teams. And I think they'll prove it in New Orleans. Uh, it'll be an exciting game, and there'll be some fun plays, but Texas won't hang with them. I don't think. Yeah, the one of two ways this game ends. Georgia's either going to come out really flat or they're going to come out rolling. And the and I think they're, they're going to come out rolling and say, hey, we belong in this playoff. We, we belong. Uh, I'm going to go 28-17, Georgia. A little lower scoring. Moving on to the December 29th Bulls. For those that have been regularly listening to the Michigan podcasts, this is the time where you'd listen to the Michigan preview. So, Michigan, Florida. Michigan has had a history of beating Florida. Thank God, <laughs> at least in my opinion. So, um, first off, down south, you listen to Paul Paul Feinbaum. Thank God your ears haven't bled out, but you've listened to Paul Feinbaum a lot. He's very critical of Harbaugh. What are your thoughts on the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Harbaugh? Well, I, I have. Uh, this is a complicated, complicated question as well, because Harbaugh was brought to Michigan to win national championships, right? I mean, you're a Michigan mm-hmm. fan. That, that's correct. Um, and it hasn't happened. And he hasn't won the big games. Uh, you know, you could argue this year, right? Beat Michigan State. Well, look at what Michigan State turned out to be. It's a bad team this year, seven and five. Preseason, I, I had them as I had them as a playoff team, to be perfectly honest, and um, and they let me down. They let a lot of people down. They can't even they can't even get first downs. <laughs> they can't get out of their own ten yard line. Yeah, um, it's a it's it's a loaded question because Harbaugh, what he's done in Michigan works everywhere else. You've got nine and three. You've got ten and three. You've got eight and five, nine and four seasons. That works. That works at. 90% of the schools in college football, even if you're losing to your rivals, it doesn't work at Michigan. And I was talking to Greg McElroy, who I had on my show a couple weeks ago, and we we're talking. I asked him about it. I said, where does Harbaugh, now that Meyer's gone from the Big Ten, where does he uh, rank in terms of national head coaches? Where does he rank in the Big Ten? Because he's certainly the most notable. And uh, Greg said to me, he thinks Harbaugh's a great coach. He's just not getting it done. And that sentiment I, I certainly agree with because we expect Jim Harbaugh with all the flash, all the talk, even this year with a more understated season from him quote-wise, we expect him to get it done. And even in years where it appears that they've got the edge, like the Ohio State game this year, sorry. Um, I know. <laughs> they, they, uh, they got killed. And this isn't even, uh, in my opinion, a very good Ohio State team. They've got one good player and a couple good running backs, but they've got a lot of questions, and they blew out Michigan. And it's it's very alarming to me that he can't win these kinds of games. And should he get should he be a hot seat? Probably not. Uh, probably not after this year. But questions have to be asked. Why is he not getting it done? What's wrong? What changes have to be made? What changes about him have to be made? Um, those are all questions that need to be answered. And also kind of going to something Greg McElroy said on the show, sure. this is a very important game for Michigan. Hugely important game. Yes. 
You can't be as good as they were all year and then get killed by Ohio State and lose the bowl game again. It can't happen again because then the same conversations will come up. The same negative press about Michigan will circulate around the country all offseason. It's very, very, very important that Michigan wins this game against Florida. But it's easily, and Greg McElroy said this, I agreed with him, it's easily the team, other than the four teams in the playoff, obviously, because they're going for national championship, it's easily the team that needs a bowl win the most in all of college football. Yes, and my thoughts are, take the name Michigan away from this team. Look what Jim has done. Three 10-win seasons. Another eight-win season that there were quarterback problems. Three 10-win seasons. Yes, I am frustrated like everyone else that they they have not beaten Ohio State. Yes, I want to win the Big Ten. Yes, I want to win the national championship. Yes, I want to get that monkey off of our backs. But you know what happened the last time we were in this situation? And this was 2006-2007. We pretty much forced Lloyd Carr to retire, and then we hired a hot name in Rich Rodriguez, and look what that did to us. It put us through the toilet. So before we we want to sever Harbaugh's head, we can't do that. We have to let the process play out. Now, let's say they went 6-7 and seven this year, which I one of my regulars, I actually work at a Kroger's here in Essexville as a cashier. One of my regulars, Al, who's an Ohio State fan, told me, if they lose to Notre Dame, they're going to go 6-7. and seven. Well, guess what, Al? We went 10-2. and two. Yes, we lost to you guys, and we got beat bad. But this was Harbaugh's make-it-or-break-it year. And yes, even though we're still not in the national title chase yet, in my mind, he's made it, and we should give it another season at least. Look at the recruiting class, number nine. We flipped an Alabama guy, Dax Hill. We're, we're still on track. We, we have to remind ourselves, hey, <laughs> do we really want to go through another Rich Rod process and go for it all, or should we just stay the course and let's see what happens? And my thought is we need to, we need to stay the course at least another season. Now, in Ohio State's case, Ohio State was in the same scenario back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Do, do we get rid of them? Do we not? They hired Trestle. It was a home run. Michigan did that. It wasn't. So, yes, and this game is very important, but my thoughts on Harbaugh are very, very clear. Three 10-win seasons, we got to keep them. We've only had one 10-win season since Bo was laid to his grave. So the the numbers are pretty clear to me. You can't get rid of the guy just yet. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not advocating for Jim Harbaugh to get fired. Uh, I am saying, however, that he's got to answer questions, and I don't think – that, look, like I said, 90% of the schools in college football, you'll want these numbers, 100%. But when you're at a school like Michigan, when you're at a school like Texas, when you're at a school like Alabama, like Ohio State, uh, Georgia's going to be there soon. Notre Dame is one of those schools. Um, you can't take away the name because that's a big reason mm-hmm. why the person was hired. You can't, like, let me put it this way. Sure. If Nick Saban switched records with Jim Harbaugh. Nick Saban had done all the same things. Nick Saban had also lost to Auburn every year of his tenure here in Tuscaloosa and had yet to make a college football playoff or a national championship or even won a conference championship. 
I think he would be severely on the hot seat. That's how Alabama fans operate. The expectations are high here, and the expectations are high in Michigan, and that's why questions have to be asked, because with certain places come certain expectations. And as good as the overall record can look, if you're not meeting certain expectations, people are going to get a little uneasy. Kevin Sumlin, all right, so the, at Texas A&M, the expectations are obviously lower than at Michigan and at Alabama. But he had a great overall record, not great conference record, and they let him go because he wasn't meeting the expectations, A, that A&M fans have already, B, that he set for himself in his first year. So it, it, I'm not saying Jim Harbaugh should be in the hot seat. I'm not saying he should be fired. However, he's got to answer questions. He's got to make some changes. He's got to do something to immediately – you know, because the process, what, this is your five for Harbaugh? I mean, the process, it, it should be, we should be seeing results. We should be seeing playoff firsts. We should be seeing Big Ten championships. We should be seeing victories over Ohio State, and we're not. And my question is why, and what can he do differently to make that happen? Because he can't stay there forever just getting by on 10 win seasons that are not victories over Ohio State or against Notre Dame, or in a postseason game like the Big Ten Championship or the college football playoff. It can't happen. Yes, and that was, and that was going to be my next point, was something uh, psychologically has to change for this team for the preparation for you know, Ohio State and Notre Dame, or, and Michigan State, any those big games. The preparation has to change because, like you've said, four years now, no victories over Ohio State. Two against Michigan State, and they seem to be getting the monkey off the back for Michigan State, but not yet Ohio State. And hopefully Urban Meyer leaving will help. <laughs> as for Florida, um, they have a monkey on their back as well, and that is Michigan. <laughs> how, does, how does Dan Mullen prepare this, the Florida guys for this? Dan Mullen is an interesting guy. Um, he's a good coach. He was obviously great at Mississippi State, and he really did well in bowl games up in Starkville. They only lost twice, went 5-2. and two. He's a good he's, – he's really good at, uh, at getting players ready for these kinds of games. And, um, and I'm intrigued because this is not a great Florida team. The 9-3 and three record is a bit it, – it's a bit over what I think that their talent actually is. 8-4, and four, to me, would be more reflective of how good that team actually is. Um, but they won the games in front of them, and uh, and they've got some talent. I mean, they've got a good defense. Felipe Franks has looked better the last three games. His percentage, completion percentage is up 9% the last three games, and he's thrown seven touchdowns, uh, albeit against the South Carolina defense that's not great, Idaho and Florida State, who's bad. But he's not, he's not messing up, and he's looked better, and the development is clearly there. Um, I mean, Florida's tough to evaluate for me. Um, this is a this is a good team. This is not a team that I think talent wise should be in the New Year's Six, but they're going to be an interesting challenge because they're so physical and they've got two really really good running backs that are going to be tough to stop, especially after watching that Michigan rush defense against Ohio State. Yeah, and that was unfortunate to see. But um, the last time Dan Mullen faced Michigan was, of course, the year. The, the seven and five year under Rich Rod that everybody was saying fire Rich Rod, including yours truly, and Dan Mullen pretty much solidified that case with Mississippi State in the Gator Bowl. So 
how will this game go? Now, of course, you're on you're on a pro Michigan so show, so answer carefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always uh, I'm always honest, and um, I, I think that, like I said, this is just so important for Michigan. I mean, they've got to win this game. Yes. If don't, the questions are going to be there. Florida doesn't have that same kind of pressure, right? I mean, this is year one of Dan Mullen. They overachieved, in my opinion. I, I think he is a very reasonable choice for SEC Coach of the Year. If he's won at a couple places, I don't know if the conference has announced it yet. I don't think so. Um, but he would be a very reasonable choice. They don't have that kind of pressure. He doesn't have that kind of pressure. So I like Michigan. Very close, very ugly, 17-10. Uh, sh- I will not be shocked, though, if Florida wins this game because they are they are a good team and they have overachieved. And Dan Mullen gets the most out of his players every single year. So I think it'll be close. I think Michigan's better, but this will be pretty fun um, if you like, you know, ground-to-pound, hard-nosed, low-scoring football because that's what this is going to be. Every time that I've done uh, that, I've looked at Michigan-Florida. I thought to myself, okay, it's going to be a close game. Every time Michigan has beaten the brakes off Florida, to quote the defensive—I forget his name—but the defensive guy's tweet from last year. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but. <laughs> But th- this is the game that I, that I would go ahead and predict the Michigan blowout, but then Florida would win. So to use reverse psychology, I'm going to go a close Michigan win as well. I'm going to say a little bit uh, farther from seven points. I'll say like 24 to 14. I'll go 10, Michigan, so that I can use that reverse psychology and that Michigan will beat the brakes off Florida, if you see what I mean. <laughs> well, here's the difference. Uh in those past Florida games against Michigan. Uh, 2015 against that Michigan team, quarterback was Treon. Right? I mean, Treon Harris is not going to blow the doors off anybody throwing the football. Uh, he's not that guy. That was a good Florida team with Will Greer. But Treon, he's not that guy. I watched that SEC championship. Um, he, he's just not that guy. And he didn't have really a quarterback developer on that staff. You look at Felipe Franks this year, he's got better every single week. Yeah, he's still making some mistakes. He's also still a sophomore. I know it feels like he's been at Florida for 95 years, but he's still really <laughs> yeah. young. And uh, Dan Mullen is clearly working with him, clearly getting a little bit better, uh, improving his game, improving his vision, which is important, and his reads. So that, to me, is why Florida has a chance, because they're not dead to rights quarterback-wise. They've got a quarterback who can make some plays and has a big arm, and as long as he doesn't make mistakes, which he hasn't the latter half of the season, they're going to be in the game. Yeah, and the thing about Treon Harris is that Treon Harris looks like he could be he should be hitting Callaway golf balls at a, at a driving range rather than throwing to Callaway. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he was not great. He, um, I, I have a great friend who uh, is a big Florida fan, um, and she uh, she went to Troy years ago, and she grew up a Florida fan in Apalachicola. And um, she, I was going to say her name's and, not Laura Rutledge, is it? Because no, she went it's to Florida. Uh, no, it's uh, not. Her name's Deidre. And uh, <laughs> we, anytime we gather uh, over the summer, uh, we make our football picks. And I remember um, the <laughs> the year after uh, over the summer after this game, she gets uh, she gets to our house. And she looks at me and says, what the heck are we doing with Treon? We have a quarterback named Treon. What? He can't do anything. We just want to be relevant, and we got Treon instead. And she's right. Uh, Treon was never that player. 
Felipe Franks can be, though. I mean, he's got the skills. He's got the talent if you watch the tape. Um, it's just all about, I think, the six inches up top between the ears and, uh, and how he develops that way mentally and emotionally, especially as a quarterback going forward. And if he can keep his head clear and doesn't panic, Florida could definitely win. I'm picking Michigan, but I think Florida has a chance to pull this one off. And yeah, and like I had said before, it's a, a series that Michigan has dominated, but I think to myself, don't go with Michigan dominance because it's going to kill you. So that's why I'm going Michigan close. Also, quick note, um, I know another lady that went to University of Florida. She works the Detroit Lions, Lions social media, Tori Petri at Sports Story. You should hit her up with a follow as well. Great personality. <clears throat> Florida's produced a lot of great talent. Absolutely. So, moving on to the playoff. Finally. I know. What's kind of like that SpongeBob or so Krusty Krab training video. Da, 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 It's the playoff. Finally. We will start with the Cotton Bowl. Notre Dame and Clemson. I know, just what the SEC has been excited for, right? <laughs> oh, yes, we're all very thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> so this game was played, of course, three years ago. In the pouring rain, Clemson had won it in Death Valley. So does Notre Dame have a revenge factor from that game years ago? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I think it was far enough. However, um... I think that it's a good blueprint that shows that Notre Dame actually can compete with Clemson because that Notre Dame was built more like this year's Notre Dame team compared to the 2012 Notre Dame team that made the BCS National Championship. And, and what I mean by that is better quarterback play um, and, and more physical on the line of scrimmage. So it's a good blueprint that shows that, hey, Notre Dame, maybe they could. Maybe they could compete. I mean, I don't think that uh, – I don't think that Brian Kelly is going to use that game and put it up on the wall. However, um, this is an interesting Notre Dame team because, you know, they, they just kind of squeaked by. I mean, look yeah. at some of the games. Uh, Pittsburgh squeaked by. Probably should have lost to Vanderbilt. I was keeping track of that game while I was at LSU-Auburn. And uh, Vandy had a chance to win and probably should have, to be quite honest, even though that was with Wimbush at quarterback. Um it's a Notre Dame team that just kind of got it done, but didn't do anything flashy. And if they want to win against Clemson, that's how they have to do it. They have to figure out a way to shut down Etienne. They have to figure out a way to make Trevor Lawrence nervous and see stars and make his reads complicated. Um, and they have to figure out a way to score and uh, and score, you know, enough um, to where, or I guess, let me rephrase, score with drives that are long enough take control of the game, to keep Trevor Lawrence off the field, to tire down that Clemson defense. Notre Dame is not a program that I would point to if I said one that's built to control the clock, but they can. And uh, Dexter Williams has been a good running back since he came back. Ian Book is top 10 in quarterback efficiency. Um, they've just got to figure out a way to control this game from the opening snap, and that, to me, is the only shot they have at winning. Because if Clemson comes out, firing and they get up 14 nothing real quick in the first quarter it's over it's over Notre Dame in my mind doesn't have the talent to come back from that yeah and I think a good blueprint for Notre Dame to follow would be the Syracuse game I mean Syracuse played controlled defense they 
they just didn't quite have enough, especially in Death Valley. Yeah, it's uh, I I would agree with that. Um, I would figure out a way to stop Etienne a little bit better than Syracuse did. Yes. Um, but yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, the game plan worked, and they had they had a good idea of how to make Trevor Lawrence look look a little. Yeah, look a little, look like a freshman. I'll say that before he went out with the injury. Uh, so yeah, I think that if they were going to look at a game this year, Syracuse would definitely be the one to point to. Maybe also A and M, although that was obviously with Kelly Bryant instead of Trevor Lawrence. Right. So we had kind of talked about my next point, which was Trevor Lawrence. Does he have nerves going into this playoff? But we kind of did touch about that just a little bit. If I'm not yeah. sure if you want to add anything yeah. to that, but. Well, I, here's the thing. I was talking with Todd Blackledge from ESPN. He was over uh, over here the other night, and um, I asked him about Trevor Lawrence. I said, you know, what do you think? Because he's calling this game in in, uh, in Dallas, and he said, this kid's the real deal. This kid, um, he's got all the talent. He's got the vision. He's got every intangible you could want as a quarterback. And, uh, and Todd thinks that he's going to be – one of the top two quarterbacks every year of his career, one of the top two or three quarterbacks every year of his career going forward at Clemson. He's, he's got the skills. Um, and he also hasn't looked like a freshman that much except against Texas A&M. He wasn't playing great against Syracuse, but he wasn't playing poorly. Against A&M, he made a couple long throws that were jump balls that his receivers were talented enough to go get. But otherwise, he looked like a freshman against A&M. And that was, that was it. Every other game this year, he's looked pretty poised. So Notre Dame's got to figure out a way to disguise blitzes, disguise coverage, figure something out to make him uneasy. I don't know what that'll be. Um, I'm not, I'm not sold on the Notre Dame defense as quote unquote elite, but they've got to figure out some way to make him uneasy in the pocket because if they don't, he's going to pick him apart. He's right. got all the skills. Right. So how? Who's going to go to the national championship between Notre Dame and Clemson in this Cotton Bowl? Uh, I think. Well, I, I think that we've. Uh, I think we've been gearing to the same national championship since about week five of this season, <laughs> and uh, we'll get to part two later. But I've got Clemson winning. I actually think Notre Dame's going to play pretty well. Um, Brian Kelly's a good coach. I didn't deserve coach of the year. Um, that was Bill Clark at UAB, and I will die on that hill. He deserves every award ever until the end of time. But. Clemson uh, is going to have their hands full. Notre Dame's going to make it tough, but I like Clemson. I've got it 34-28. That might be a bit too close. Um, I would trust more 34-23. I think Notre Dame might get a late score to make it look a little bit more competitive, but they're going to be in it until about late third quarter when Clemson overwhelms them with that tough D-line. I'm also going to take a shot at one of my regulars at work, and I, I don't, I'm not sure of his name. But I, but he's a big Notre Dame fan. He told me, "Oh, we creamed Michigan." I'm like, "We had the well. Yes, you guys beat us game wise, but we had the ball with a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. Yes, Shea threw a pick, but we still had the ball with a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. That's not creaming us." <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. You want to talk about the first quarter? Yeah, Notre Dame creamed Michigan. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I will agree with that. For two games and three quarters, they looked average. And then Book came in, changed things up. Um, But, you know, Stanford's not great. Virginia Tech's not great. Pitt's not great. And they barely beat them. I I mean, 
they get it done, but they don't do it flashily. And it, it, it's hard for me to look at Notre Dame and say that is a team that can win a national championship or to put it in this context, that is a team that can stick with Clemson for four quarters. Clemson's just yeah. way too talented. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go more than 34-28. I'm going to say 35-20 uh, Clemson. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds about right, honestly. I think it'll be that kind of game late, and then Notre Dame will maybe put together some sort of drive to make it interesting um, because every year one of the semifinals has to have some kind of crazy ending, and I think it potentially could be this one. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, Clemson will win. And now the game that we've all been waiting for. And if you've made it this far in the show, thank you for listening because you are awesome, every single one of you listening. Oklahoma, Alabama in the Orange Bowl. We both, I'm, I'm certain we both think this is going to be the old-fashioned shootout. Yeah, it's, um, I don't, I don't know about shootout. Uh, I, I think Alabama's going to put up a lot of points that Oklahoma will score, but statistically, I mean, you can't ignore the Oklahoma defense and how how they can't stop anybody. And, and I'm going to give a shout say, out to Pat yeah. Forty. Um, he, he listed this one statistic. Um, Texas Tech put up 46 on Oklahoma, nine more than their season average. Oklahoma State, 47, nine more than season average. Kansas, 40, 16 more than their season average. West Virginia, 56, 14 more than their season average. Those numbers are all over Oklahoma's schedule. Alabama comes in averaging 47.9 points per game. So let's say about 12 points at early, uh, points above that. I think that it would be very easy to see Alabama scoring 60. And Alabama's defense is, is too talented to let Oklahoma and Kyla Murray, as good as they are, put up that much. Um, Kyler's obviously very good. He deserved the Heisman Trophy. Um, I'm glad he won it. They've got a great O-line. It's going to be tough for Alabama to get pressure with three. But Oklahoma's defense is such a sieve, and it's hard to ignore that. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, Oklahoma's defense, wait, they actually had a defense? I wasn't aware. It uh, It's tough <laughs> to see sometimes, but they are out there. They're not doing much, but they are out there. <laughs> They're just, a, just 11 stick figures standing out there? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> More or less. I'm, <laughs> I, I certainly against West Virginia, other than the two, uh, the two touchdowns that they had, which were just terrible plays by West Virginia, but I mean, my goodness, I've never seen that many wide open receivers in my life on both sides. That was embarrassing for football. Yeah, if I were an OU fan, I would I would just be throwing a fit every game, even though we're winning because I'm a defensive guy. Of course, look at look at the look at the team that I root for. Michigan. Well how are we built? Defense. What I, I commonly ask people as a funny joke, what do Jim Harbaugh and I have in common? I say good D. Well, the thing about a team like Oklahoma is when you have a defense as bad as theirs, the margin of error is gone. I mean, look at the Texas Tech game. Kyla Murray throws two picks in the first quarter. Tech had the edge. Now, Oklahoma was able to get some stops in the second half, and that led to them winning, but you're not going to do that against Alabama. So the margin of error, I assume, unless Oklahoma does some major overhaul defensively in these weeks preparing, is non-existent. And if they make any sort of mistakes on offense, that's going to be all she wrote. And maybe the most important stat that I found 
um, that was the most interesting, at least, when I was researching this game a couple weeks ago. Third downs. Uh, Alabama, historically, in these big games, they've had difficulty converting third downs. Um, this season, that has not been the case. They're second in college football on third down conversions, and nobody's been able to stop them on plays like that, except maybe Mississippi State. They uh, they did a good job, had a good scheme against Alabama. Oklahoma defensively is 113th in third down defense. That is not the recipe for success. That is not the recipe for getting Tua off the field. Uh, and I just, I mean, sure, hopefully they're maybe equal. Oklahoma's better, but they both have potent offenses. But defensively, the edge isn't even close. Isn't even close. Yeah, if defense is going to be played in this game, it will most definitely be played by the Crimson Tide. Now, as for uh, as for Tua, and I'll I'll get into this sort of real quick. Um, motivation from the Heisman vote. I I certainly think that Tua is motivated by not winning the Heisman, as Kyler Murray is motivated by winning it. What do you think? Well, Tua is an interesting guy. Uh, he is not going to say that. Uh, I think it will be privately something that fires him up. I'm actually more excited to see how Saban uses to motivate Tua. If I'm Nick Saban, every day I'm going up to Tua and saying, finding some graphic, some vote, um, somebody, some article that said Kyler deserved to win the Heisman. Maybe some of my tweets, I don't know. <laughs> uh, although I doubt Saban's pointing those up. Uh, and I'm showing them to Tua and saying, look at this, there's no respect for you. I think this is such a great tool that Saban can use to fire up Tua that I, I, I actually feel bad for some of Oklahoma's corners because it's going to get ugly. Tua is going to come out wheeling and dealing, and Tua is too proud to not play better, exponentially better, than he did in the SEC championship game. He prides himself on his abilities. He prides himself on not throwing interceptions. He had two against Georgia. Um the motivation won't be a problem. If anything, all this is going to add more, and I'm really excited to see how Saban uses everything that's happened to Tua in the last month. Um, the doubting, the injuries, the SEC championship performance, the Heisman, how he uses that to fire up his quarterback. Because that's, there's, I mean, it's all right in front of him. The blueprint is there to get Tua to play his best game of the season. Dare I say this, but I think I'm going to help motivate Tua a little bit. Believe it or not, I would have actually voted, well, I would have voted for Kyler Murray for Heisman number one. I would have voted Haskins number two over Tua. Here's the reason why. If you watch Alabama's games, where is Tua for the second half of most of them? On the bench. And it's yeah, because. But why, but why is he on the bench? But yes, that's, that's, and that's why he's there. That's why he's there, is what he's doing. So. My thought was, if Kyler Murray had to do all of it, Tua had a defense to help. Now it kind of it kind of hurts Tua in that way because of the Heisman vote, because that's how the Heisman seems to be. But I'm sure Saban will use that as well. Maybe not exactly that quote that I said, but use that frame as motivation for him. So nothing against Tua. Tua did what he had to do, but because he only <laughs> because. The Heisman committee and the voters were only given that frame of what Tua had had to do. That kind of hurt him in the Heisman vote. But the Heisman vote is just the trophy, and and that's that. The championship is what the Heisman winners play for, and the and of course Tua. So, with that being said, how will this Orange Bowl go? 
said earlier, we've been gearing to this championship matchup since week five, since Clemson beat Syracuse, um, since it became obvious that they could win even without Trevor Lawrence and certainly without Kelly Bryant. And Alabama has been a machine since week one. And also, I mean, how crazy is it that they have the best story in college football this year other than UAB with Jalen Hurts and what he did in the SEC championship game. Um, Oklahoma can't stop Alabama. Alabama will score 50-plus easily. I've got them winning 52-35. Kyler will make it interesting, but Alabama's defense is too fast. Satan is too good when he has this much time to get teams ready, especially when he has a roster that is better than the one he's facing. Because a lot of I say that, and a lot of people point out the semifinal against Ohio State. That Alabama team had no business being a number one seed. That was an Alabama team that found ways to win, but was not as elite as the one we're seeing this year. This is an Alabama roster that is better almost everywhere than Oklahoma, and they'll prove it with a big win in the Orange Bowl, setting up a national championship rematch, of course, with Clemson. I'll, I'll throw out a stat here and say that every year that Alabama, well, sees every year since at least 2013, Alabama has lost at least one game. They have lost zero games so far, but losing one game, of course, doesn't necessarily mean I think Oklahoma will beat Alabama. I think Alabama wins here, and it's because, like you had said, and like I, even I had said, Oklahoma has defense. What is that again at Oklahoma? I, I didn't know that existed. <laughs> defense in this game will be played by Alabama. Um, I think it will be a shootout, but, of course, someone makes a stop. It's going to be Alabama. Give me the Crimson Tide 60-50. to 50. High scoring, and it's going to... It will be at least midnight mountain time before we head before this game is over. Not central time, mountain time. I will be in Miami catching a flight the day after to El Paso, Texas. You mean the and I am not happy with the idea of us ending at two o'clock Eastern. That uh, <laughs> I, I need my sleep before I fly out to Texas. Believe me, I, I watching all these games too. I need some sleep as well because I, I, if you saw my tweet, I had to be up at four forty-five this morning Eastern for work at five forty-five. I have early, I have some early mornings at times. So, with that being said, that was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it's you know you you got to talk about it all because I yeah. mean, what are you going to skip over? And we didn't even get to cover some of the more fun non-New Year's Six bowl matches, which. I mean, I think I'll just give a shout out to one. I think the most sure. fascinating one is Penn State, Kentucky. I really think yeah. that's going to be a fun game. Uh, a lot of people are going ahead and picking Penn State. I'm not so sure. Um, Kentucky's trying to win 10 games for the first time in decades on decades. Uh, and Penn State, I, I'm not sold on them. I mean, we, I've seen them a couple times and I wasn't that impressed. Um, I think that'll be a fun game. I mean, there's a lot to like about bowl season. It's the best time of the year. Yes, football festivus, like I had said earlier in the show, according to our buddies at Three Point Stance Magazine. In that game, it's going to be close. I've watched a lot of Penn State. I, I, like everybody else, was questioning James Franklin's call on fourth and two against Ohio State. Um, as far as that, Mich- Michigan blew the brakes off Penn State, thank God. <clears throat> uh, why, why not? Snow, yeah. Why not? Snow, yeah. 
Give me Kentucky. <laughs> I mean, hey, snow, yeah, am I right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's just an interesting game, and I think Mark Stoops, um, Mark Stoops would be my pick for SEC Coach of the Year. And yeah, they lost to Tennessee and whatever, but it's I, I just I, I don't know. I have a feeling it reminds me a lot of Mississippi State uh, Louisville last year, where everyone went in thinking Mississippi State had no shot. They didn't have Dan Mullen. They didn't have Nick Fitzgerald. They were playing Lamar Jackson, and they won the game, and they won it pretty convincingly late. I mean, they dominated it from a defensive standpoint. Kentucky's got Josh Allen. Uh, I think that it'll be an interesting game. I would. I, I think Kentucky will win, too. I think it'll be close. But I think it'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Louisville, Louisville hasn't been relevant since. In fact, <clears throat> how would you like to be the coach of Louisville, which was Bobby Petrino, sitting there on your own coach's show and finding out that you've been fired? Because that's well, what happened I'll- to Bobby Petrino. In high school, I took a leadership class, and we had to write an essay about an example of bad leadership. And uh, my example was Bobby Petrino (laughs) from his time at Arkansas and the whole thing about Auburn flying out to try and hire him while Tuberville was still the coach and what he did in Atlanta. Um, He's not not anyone's best friend, let's just say that. He uh, slimy comes to mind when I think Bobby Petrino. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely a lot of controversy. So... With that being said, we covered a lot, and I'll, I guess I'll go ahead and ask, is there anything else you have to add to this wonderful Tom Green podcast? Well, not much. Um, sure. You know, bowl season's right around the corner. New Year's Day and New Year's Eve and the 29th, they're all going to be fun. Um, it's the best time of the year, and uh, it was fun to talk about it, and I hope all my picks are right. Um, they probably won't be, although I will brag a minute and say I am eight for eight or seven for seven or how many we've played bowl games so far. I'm very proud of that. It will probably end tonight because I have mentioned it. Um, but it's a lot of fun to talk about bowl games and, uh, I, we should hopefully get some entertaining matchups and then definitely have a very entertaining national championship game, no matter who's in it, unless it's Notre Dame because they will get blown out by either Alabama or Oklahoma. It could be a rematch. It could be a reprise of 2012. If that's the case. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> right. So, thanks again, Gray, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. And hopefully, if you're down in SEC Nation, if this is your first time here in the Tom Green Show, we'd love to have you subscribe. Follow at TomTV23 at TomGreenPod. Gray knows it, and I've been around a lot of people. And, ho- and I-, I imagine that someday that myself and Gray will, pat- will cross paths at some point. So... We'll see how things go as far as that. Thanks again, Gray, and this has been a wonderful edition of the Tom Green Podcast.